0: All right, we're we'll going to be in Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 19. Romans 6, listen, if you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand. Don't feel weird. We have free Bibles for you. Take this one, keep it. If you don't own one, that's yours, free gift. Uh, if you have one, just forgot to grab one, leave it on your way out. Okay? There it is. Hands up. Don't be weird. Just get them. And turn to Romans 6. Who can give me the page number for Romans 6 in the loaner Bible? 612. 612. Good job, Mike. 612. If you got the loaner. Okay, here's where we've been. We've been in Romans now, I think, we keep saying, it. I've lost track, it's about 30 weeks, we've been in Romans for a long time now, okay? We've, we've tried to show that Paul, and I keep saying it every week, because I want to get this, get us, allow us to get this holistically, that Paul is making a, a big argument here. Uh, an argument from the beginning of the book that, man, we are jacked up people, and we're going to see it more today, Um, but in the midst of our sin and depravity, there's an answer, there's a solution, that solution is Christ, right? It's Jesus, he comes in, the gospel is good news for those who believe. Okay, the gospel is great news for all of creation because it's redeeming all of creation for the glory of God, okay? And so that's the argument Paul is trying to make over this entire book, and then we found in chapter 6, there's somewhat of this kind of five-week mini-series almost, right? Kind of in the midst of this grand argument, he puts up this, this argument in, in between here to kind of give, I guess, a little more weight to his grand argument, okay? So in the beginning of chapter six, we saw our union with Christ and how secure it is, okay? So that we were once separate from God, but in faith, we have now been united with him, okay? So we are brought together, and with that union come all of the benefits of being with Christ, okay? So in life, death, and resurrection, his life is now our life, his perfection, our perfection, and on down the line, okay? Now that has massive implications, and so we saw in week two that we've been set free from sin. Okay, what a, what a glorious idea for those in the room who have sinned, which is every one of us, right? I mean, what a, what a glorious idea that we've been set free from sin. We are no longer in bondage. It no longer has dominion over us. We, we walk in that freedom. And so in week three, we... Try to define man. how do do we walk in that freedom? How do we put some rails? How do we get some feet on the ground and walk this freedom out? What does that look like? And then last week, Paul gave us probably the greatest illustration or really the greatest reality of now who we are in Christ to further back up this truth. So last week we introduced this idea that we are now slaves to God. That indeed, ever since day one, since the moment we were all born and conceived, we have been enslaved to something or someone, okay? And, and Paul lays out, it's either sin or it's righteousness. It's sin or obedience. It's um, sin or God. And we found, listen, the truth is, for those who are in Christ, the language Paul uses is this. It's not that we're, cho- we don't wake up in the morning and say, okay, today I'm gonna choose to be enslaved to God. Listen, if you are here and you are in Christ. Your faith, your hope, your trust, your love is in Him and what He has done. Your new reality is you're a slave to God. Like, that's your new identity. It's who you are now. And we made the argument that if, as a Christian, as a church, if, if we just began to sit in, to marinate in that truth, if we really understood our identity the rest of the implications would just work themselves out. That it wouldn't be this constant striving, this constant battle, but rather, the more we looked and said, okay, God, who have you now made me? In what way have you made me new? We would begin to see the implications of how we work this out happen all the more. Okay? That being said, we said today we get to work out some of those implications as to why we count it such a blessing to be a slave to God. Why, why slavery? To go? Okay, so if we've been set free now from sin and not just set free unto nothing, but rather set free unto new slavery, why could this possibly be such a glorious thing that the church should sing and resound across all nations? It's okay. a big question for us. What Paul's going to do today, I think, um, is give us uh, really what we're going to call the three R's. Okay? Kind of three implications to this. The three R's, the first being responsibilities, right? So that Well, I'll get to it in a moment. Responsibilities, the second one, reflections, and the third one, um, rewards. Responsibilities, reflections, and rewards for you note-takers. We made it easy with the alliteration. You're welcome, okay? So we're going to focus on those three things today, but I want to say this. This is the heart of where we're coming from this morning, okay? And as I was looking at this week and even talking to a few of the staff guys about it, here's my heart. (coughs) I want us to... I want us to realize how deep this slavery must go. Uh, how much we must identify with this. How much we must also, and I, listen, I'm not, I'm not naive to think that everyone in here loves Jesus and everyone in here has made that choice and has chosen obedience and righteousness in God over man, sin and the, what the world would have to offer you. Okay, and so, and so my, my desire for you is that you would see, man, there, you are enslaved to something, and yet this slavery is better. That's my hope here. Harriet Tubman, who hopefully you guys have heard of, okay, from the Civil War Underground Railroad, okay, she has this quote, pretty famous quote. She says this, she said, I freed a thousand slaves, and I could have freed a thousand more if they only knew they were slaves. I freed a thousand slaves. I could have freed a thousand more if only they knew they were slaves. My hope is for us, even as we come to the implications of what it means to be enslaved to God, that we would understand, man, the depth of that idea. How important of an idea this is for us on whichever side of the coin we land. If you find yourself still enslaved to what the world has to offer you, that you would say, okay, that slavery runs deep. You need to be set free. And then if you're here, okay, if, if, if your slavery is unto God, that that slavery is deep and it has massive implications about what your life should look like. Okay. That's my hope for us. So here we go. First, the responsibilities. Um, let's just think of it this way, right? You get a promotion, Okay, Uh, say you go from sales associate to manager, there are new responsibilities in your life. There's a new title, a new role, a new identity. There's new responsibilities. Oftentimes, here's what I hear, I see people, and I think oftentimes it's the church's fault, we've propagated and sold to you so much, it's this personal, immediate, momentary salvation. So it's, okay, listen, you're in sin, you're leading towards death. If you just believe in God, like you get eternal life, it's, it's good, you want this, believe me. Eternal life with God is better than the alternative. And so oftentimes the gospel we present merely truncates the entire thing down to this momentary, singular thing of now you're saved, nothing left to do. Okay. But that's just not what the Bible communicates. The gospel is supposed to come in and revolutionize things to all of a sudden give new responsibility, new reflection, and new reward. Okay, So now we look at the responsibilities. Verse 19. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. So Paul's not starting this thing off by calling us stupid, but he's saying this, we are limited. And we'll get to that more in just a moment. See, the illustration of slavery is just the best that Paul could do. So, as he writes this letter to the Romans, he's trying to convey such an idea to the Roman church that the best possible illustration he could come up with, come up with that would connect with the people was slavery. But indeed, it goes far beyond slavery and what it looks like to have a relationship with God. Because one, our master is far greater than any of the slave masters that they would have understood in the Old Test or in the New Testament, and, and we are now more subject and, and owe him a great deal for the great love that he has given to us. Okay, and so that is what we walk out. So the first thing there's three ideas I think he communicates here that give rails to this new responsibility that kind of give um, clarifiers to this new responsibility. The responsibility being this. You are now, as a slave to God, to give your lives wholly unto him. Do you you hear what I'm saying? Holy. Not H-O-L-Y, but W-H-O-L-L-Y. Holy. All of you. Every single piece of you to God. Now, when I sit back and think about this idea and I think about when I got, I got saved in college and I remember it was kind of this moment where as soon as I got saved and maybe a lot of you guys had that conversion moment, right, where you're like, okay, these are the things that now have to go to God and usually it was your music, right? So all of your bad CDs, right, Run DMC. If You, got, you guys don't even know who that is, do you? You guys young kids. There's a few of you. So like some of these, right, so CDs go in the trash. Mine went out the window, okay, um, later to be searched for, never to be found again, but um, mine went out the window, okay, we, we knew our speech needed to change, um, we, we knew that there was some of, right, some of those outward sins that people were like, yeah, I don't think you're supposed to do that, right, I mean, so some of that had to change, but really, that's, that's kind of where the line gets drawn for Christianity in our country, right? Oftentimes, Christianity gets boiled down to a bunch of, well, I don't do this, and I don't do this, and and I certainly don't do that, so I'm in the clear. But no, no, slavery calls us as responsibility that every aspect of who you are is fully subject to God. So everything you think, everything you feel, everything you do with your hands, your feet, your body, your soul, your mind, on and on and on and on and on, Every piece of you, holy and subject to God. What a daunting, daunting idea. That it's not just this performance we can put on, but rather it is a holistic movement towards God that we are called to. And that's the weight that Paul tries to give right off the bat. That's the responsibility for those whose new identity is slave to God. It's not a little bit of the, it's. It's holy unto Him. Okay. Now, um, the three rails to this, the three clarifiers, or three, I think, things to to give us kind of an understanding of how this all works, how to do this best, uh, is this the first one that we are naturally limited. You see, if we come to this equation, we say, okay, God's asking all of me, all the time, twenty four seven perfection. Okay, um, he, what Paul does, he comes and says, listen, but in your natural limitation, that's why I speak to you. So already communicated to us is that we are limited people. Showing that that perfection on our own is impossible to achieve. Okay? That we are limited people. That we must approach God with humility. That there is something in us that doesn't quite work right as it should. And so, man, do we need some help? Is he not just paying the same argument? He's been doing all over Romans. Man, we are so messed up, we need somebody else to step in for us. Okay? We are naturally limited. The second one, there is a causal impact of our behavior on our behavior. So in other words, if we engage in sin and lawlessness... It begets sin and lawlessness, right? Walter White, right? What did he do? He set out, right, to make some money for his wife before he died of cancer. He became a drug lord, okay? That wasn't overnight. It was, yeah, you know, I'm going to do this, and I'm not going to ruin it for you, but then I'll do this, and then I'll be really shady and do this and murder these people. So on and on and on. Does everyone get the Walter? That's Breaking Bad. You guys got that? Some of you guys, not Christian. That's fine. Um just kidding, just kidding, just kidding, stop it. Uh, but seriously, no. So so sin begets sin begets sin. And, and, and listen, I don't even have to, we don't have to use, to, how many of you guys have found yourself in that situation where you're here, right, there's just darkness, you, already, you wake up somewhere or, and you look around and you're like, how did this happen? How did I get here? And you try and even trace the steps back, but you cannot even get to the beginning of where that started. Sin begets sin begets sin. Just like righteousness begets righteousness begets righteousness. Leading unto sanctification, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to make us more like Jesus. See that as we choose this and we we, we push towards God, we see righteousness leads to righteousness which leads to righteousness. Second little clarifier. The third one. We now give ourselves to righteousness and not sin. So, uh, a couple weeks ago, Anthony's week, that he preached a few weeks ago, and then, and then a couple weeks ago, we talked about kind of what, what we'd really label more as sins of commission. Right? Sins of commission. This, this idea that these are acts that you commit that you ought not to commit. Right? So, uh, you shouldn't lie. You shouldn't steal. You shouldn't murder. You shouldn't uh, uh, be sexually immoral, on down the line. And we say, okay, don't do those things. Those don't lead towards life. What I think Paul's even bringing into the equation here, which I think is very important for us, is, is sins of omission, right? See, the idea that God now, again, has given us responsibility and duty to engage and do stuff, and when we don't do it, we are in sin. How many times do you know you're supposed to forgive your friend? You're supposed to forgive your spouse. You're supposed to forgive your children. But you don't. Right? You know that the gospel says, man, okay, no, forgive. And love them beyond, love your enemies. So how many times do you know the good you ought to do? James 4.17 says it like this. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. For him who knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Man, if I walk through my day, right? I mean, daily, confronted with, yeah, you should probably do that. And you should probably do that too. And I say, you know what, Holy Spirit, no thanks. I'm going to do, do my own thing right now, I appreciate it. And I kind of walk along as if it's no big deal, even though in the midst of it I'm confronted with a text like this, both from Paul and in James that says, no, God has called me now to something. There are implications, responsibilities of me being a slave to God now that I must walk in or sin abounds in my life. He who fails to do the thing he know he should do is in sin. So these sins of omission are ever so present. We are now called to righteousness. We are called to be on mission. We are called to love ridiculously. right? We are to forgive all the time. But instead we just say, you know what, man? I, I think I got this one. We put it in our own hands. We don't come back to the fact that we're naturally limited. God isn't. That we should be humble before Him and trust that He knows what's best for us. Instead, we think we know what's best for us. And so we do the good that we think is best in the moment, even though in the moment we know it's probably not the right thing. So Paul gives these clarifiers to these responsibilities, right? That we must, one, ready, approach this responsibility with a tremendous amount of humility. Knowing full well our own limitation, that we will never get there and we need someone's help, namely... The Holy Spirit, Christ himself, Christ in us. Okay. Secondly, that when we engage in these behaviors, that they beget further behavior that direction. And so beware of where you're walking. Be cognizant. Think about it. Don't just say, uh, it's just a little thing. No, it's, it will be a big thing down the line. And then lastly, engage. Don't listen. Don't just run from those sins that we know we shouldn't do. Run towards the things that we know God has called us to now. Pursue the righteous deeds that God has called you to. In that we find the responsibility that we have as slaves to God. <coughs> Excuse me. And, and let me just say this. It, it, gets, it gets easier. I mean, it, in some ways it gets harder But in some ways, it gets easier, right? So, I mean, just like uh, my buddy Sean was just up visiting about uh, two weeks ago. If you guys know Sean, the dude's like, I think, 1.37% body fat. Like, it's awkward, right? And so the dude biked here from Phoenix, okay? Yeah, I know. I said, he he said, you guys just realized how far Phoenix is, didn't you? You're like, oh, oh, that's like, yeah. So he went up through Payson, you know, and, and biked a couple of you guys are like, no, I'm really going to do that. That sounds awesome. You're crazy. Okay. But he calls me up. And so Sean and I used to bike a ton together, right? So we've done a lot of the Western Coast together. And this was like, you know, 50 pounds ago. And so we, you know, we, we did the coast. And so he calls me up. He says, hey, I'm going to bike up from Phoenix. Do you want to come? <laughs> I said, absolutely not. You know, there, there could not be a worse. I said, I'll drive behind you. You know, I'll be the pace car. You know, and give, squirt water at you and stuff on the way up. You know, he yes, Zach, too. Zach could probably do it, but I was just, I'm out, right? Here's the thing. There was a time, right, when, when I could have done that ride, okay? There, w- there was a time when I could have done that ride, but no longer. Why? Because I don't bike anymore. I mean, like, I, sometimes I bike to the supermarket, get a sandwich. You know what I mean? Like, and so, but there, there's not a lot of biking going on in my life. And so I'm not trained in that. And so here's the thing: I just want to say this. Sometimes here, we start talking about. Listen, it's it's not about the external. Actually, all the time here, we say it's not about the external. You can't do enough to, plead, to Sorry, you can't do enough to earn God's love. That's through Christ alone. Right? Uh, it's not your external that saves you. My fear is is that we focus so much on the grace and mercy that we just say we're not going to do anything. Right, That we just say, okay, man, because of God's grace, because of his mercy, because it's not about the external, I don't need to think about the external. No, no we still think about the external in response to what God's done in the internal. Okay? And, so, and so, I just want to say, as we train ourselves in righteousness, we see more righteousness and sanctification, and we grow up in Christ. The Holy Spirit comes aflame, we keep in step, we walk with the Spirit. Of God. Okay. The next thing, <clears throat> let's keep going. The second transition, uh, there are new reflections. We see things clearer than we've ever seen them before. So, my wife and I just moved into a new house, uh, which is fantastic. If you guys remember the story, there's no longer people vomiting and, and urinating off of the balcony above us, which is fantastic. Um, they're not here today, right? <laughs> I, invite, I used to invite him like every week. And I'm always like, I shouldn't tell that story. But um, there are new reflections. And so as Verdi and I move into this new house, we found this mirror that you can buy at Target. You know, it's one of those cheap mirrors, like 20 bucks. You put on the back of a door. And they're really long and skinny, okay? So I walk in. We had set it in the bedroom up against the wall. It's not hung up or anything. And I walked in. I was like, whoa. This is a great mirror, <laughs> right? I said, I don't know what happened in the last 20 minutes, but I must have lost a good 20. I mean, I was just, just, just yeah. right? That's ghetto target mirror. Okay. In fact, all of you students have one in your bedroom. It's lying to you right now. Okay. <laughs> I walk into our I walk into our our bathroom, which has like these gorgeous mirrors. They're like. They're like the size of this room. I mean, they just show every It's like HD mirror, right? And I walk in, and I was like, oh my God, you know? It was... And I was wait a minute, you know? And so I walked back. I took the little mirror and put it in the bathroom while I was getting ready, you know? Just like, okay, just I'll stay in this one. You see, here's the truth, okay? Before before we were in Christ, before we were slaves to God, we, we did not see properly what was really happening around us. Okay? We, we did not see clearly what was really going around in our lives, in our schools, in our country, in our culture, in our churches. We did not see clearly the gospel and on and on and on. But with Christ, in Christ, slave to God, we now see clearer. We can truly reflect and look back on what God has accomplished on our behalf. We can truly look back on what we used to sit in and how much greater the present is in Jesus. God has given us new eyes, new reflections as in slave, slavery to him. Excuse me. So let's look. Two main ideas communicate here. Verse 20. For when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Okay? So when we were enslaved in sin, when we were over here, right, we were free in regard to, right, we had no regard for the righteousness of God. Right? There, right before I became a Christian, I wasn't thinking from, from zero to 18, like, yeah, you know, I, I don't love God, but I really want to live for Him. Right? I, I, I don't love God, but I want to agree and live under His statutes and His rule. No, that's didn't happen. We were I was free in regard to righteousness. It did not have it did not own me. I was owned by something else. Right? It, I was being shaped and molded, not by the righteousness of God, but as we talked about a couple weeks ago, the righteousness that the world has to offer. Right? That there's a, there's, a certain, there's a certain culture, there's a certain way that every woman and every man in here should look like if you want to look like the ideal cultural figure in America today. And there is a way to live righteously in their precepts and not God's. And so while we were slaves to sin, we were free in regards to God's righteousness. It did not own us. It did not move us. It did not shape us. We were shaped by a different righteousness. Okay. Those were not... Those were not good days, excuse me. Um, now we see on the other end of it, like hindsight's twenty twenty, that there was this freedom that we thought we had wasn't really freedom at all. Right, this freedom that we thought we had, this, this kind of American ideological freedom that, I mean, you can escape whatever and then you find yourself. So let me say this, for all of you NAU students, right, and I see it all the time, and I'm not, trying to, I'm not saying it's you or it's any of you in here, but here's what I know. Here's what I constantly see as I talk to a lot of the NAU students, is that they grew up in the church, they went to youth group every single year, they went to camp, they did the stuff, and then they finally were able to be free and escape to Flagstaff, Arizona, Right? That they, okay, their parents, right, just ruled up, said, this is what you have to do, this is what life looks like. Then freedom came. They come to Flagstaff and engage in everything that they want to engage in that they were never able to engage in before. And to them, that is freedom, right? Finally, they are free now. You are free now to make your own. Decisions. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to read your Bible. You don't have to go to Bible study. You don't have to not cuss. You don't have to not sleep around. You don't have to not drink. On and on and on down the road, and I see it over and over and over. And I tell you what, that usually this isn't it. Usually lasts your freshman year, because sophomore year rolls around, or maybe just a little more life on you, and maybe enough betrayal, and enough pain, and enough waking up in places you don't remember, and enough of. Gu- on and on and on, where you realize, listen, maybe this isn't actually where freedom lies. Maybe, just maybe, I was being shaped by a cultural ideal that I had to sleep around. Maybe I was being shaped by a cultural ideal, ideal that parting until the ends right of the night, I mean, when, when the sun's coming back up. Not going to class, missing school, not being responsible for your life, on and on that maybe maybe that maybe I was buying into those cultural truths and I was never really free at all. That's what happened for me. I got to college, I applied to I've said this before, I applied to San Diego State University because I wanted to go to San Diego State University. Okay? Seemed really exciting. I got there, God had different plans, right? Saves me, and all of a sudden I'm here trying to figure out and pick up the pieces. But I remember looking back at high school, I remember thinking, man, that, I just thought I was doing my thing. No, I was not doing my thing. I was doing the thing that I thought my peers wanted me to do, right? I, I was living by a standard that wasn't truly even my standard. It wasn't, certainly wasn't God's standard. It was a standard of the world around me. You see, I didn't realize this truth until God set me free. So so we could see, again, clearly, this is the ultimate, right, only Matrix 1. We don't even talk about the other two, but in Matrix 1, right, Neo, right, Keanu Reeves realizes everything that he was in was a sham, right? The entire world around him, the way it was crafted, was all manipulated for him to see it a certain way. We are pulled out of that in Christ. We see the world clear for what it is that we are never truly nearly as free as we thought we were. We now see clear. We can now see the things of God. This uh, second part to this, excuse me, <coughs> verse 21. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. In other words, man, yeah. Was it really worth it? Right, and we can now look back, and, and not only do we realize we were enslaved to maybe a different mass, we weren't truly free back then. In fact, I mean, even the stuff we did, did we... Do we truly look back on it and say it had any any continuous positive influence in our life? I mean, I mean stuff where, I mean, I'll tell you this. Verdi and I have been married for about three years now. There's so many things in my mind, in my brain that I've seen that affects Verdi and I. Right? There, there's so many things, right, from, from my past, from her past, that we are so shaped by, so molded by, that now it comes into our marriage, and this is true. Listen, there's not a married couple I haven't t- I have talked to that that's not true about at some degree or level. See, our, our past, man, they, they, they come back and they, they feed into it. But man, I tell you what, a lot of the stuff that I saw, the time that was spent, people investing in me, pointing me towards Jesus, I tell you what, that stuff now makes me a better husband, makes me a better pastor, makes me a better friend, makes me a better lover of God. The things in this world, that I tell you what, they will last unto eternity and beyond and not just burn at the end of the day. Are we do can we now see that when we look back the things that we just celebrated and thought were so cool, right? And I hear it all the time. Just go sit in Macy's for 10 minutes. Go walk through the Union for two minutes and just hear the constant stories. Man, I did this last night. Oh, I did this last night. I tell you what, in five years that will not matter at all. In fact, it will be looked back upon and show even indeed shame on them. Now, let's let's just keep going. Last one. Last thing we see. No. I do want to say this. Those in here who don't love Christ, okay, and um, you're free in regards to God's righteousness, and then for the Christians in here on the other side of this, now looking back on that life, here's what I often see in the church, and this is just a moment to form us again as a church and as individuals. Um, too often do we, do we look at this side and we usually, do, we usually kind of wag our finger. We usually lob kind of insults, right, from, from a distance. We throw stones and say, man, I, I can't believe you're engaging in that sin. You heathen you, whatever. Or we judge even just privately in our hearts, in our minds. And I tell you what, that is not helpful for the kingdom. Right? So, so we, listen, they are not jumping on the bandwagon that they believe the Bible. Right? So when you come at them and say, listen, you're in sin. Stop stop hooking up with people. Okay. When you just do it from a when you when you're not engaged with people's lives, and we as a church just sit back, stand at a distance, and insult and judge, I tell you what, we are not engaged. That is not mission. Okay? That is self righteousness. Because the truth is, if we're here and we see clearly that it took Jesus' death and sacrifice to save us, surely they need the same thing and not the judgment that we usually offer. I say we offer compassion because they cannot see clearly what we now see clearly. That is a work of God that is not your own doing, friends. And we got to do a better job. Again, that's just... That's just a moment for us. Right? That we be formed by compassion and humility and not judgment and self-righteousness as a church. Okay? Last thing. Verse 22. That we're going to look at the rewards here and get to verse 23, which is probably the most off-quoted verse in the world. Verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life see what we now have the first reward is is true freedom i mean i mean freedom redefined for us it, it's it's somewhat ironic right that the only true freedom we can find is when we have a master who is perfect so freedom is not having no don't go masterless it's just have the right master right it's understanding that in the right master there is true freedom true Freedom where you're, listen, you're not sold on a bunch of deception lies as to what will bring you joy. Why is, okay, why is having Christ your master truly where freedom is found? It's because everything that God does, is, and tells us to do and believe and be a part of is perfect. Okay? Is Perfect, the precepts of God are perfect. The character of God is perfect. The statutes of God, the Word of God is perfect on and on and on that's why listen, that is where true freedom is found because it allows us to engage with the greatest possible life we can have this side of heaven and into eternity forever. You see God, we have said this here a lot, but I feel we've got to hammer it home. God just just sit from heaven, shake his finger at you in regards to sin. No, his heart grieves when you engage with sin. He's angered because, man, you are not stepping into the fulfillment and joy that is offered in the presence of God. Right? Instead, we defame the name of God. We choose over and over to engage in these things that, listen, grieve the heart of God because he has so much more for those in Christ. True freedom to truly see clearly what he offers. Clearly what the world offers. And why he's just so much better. Why Christ is just so much better. Listen, All of you are going to leave here in about 30 minutes. You're going to walk back to college. You're going to get in your cars. You're going to drive home. Some of you may have to work this afternoon. Some of you will go to lunch. Whatever it is, you're going to leave this place and you're going to have to engage this truth every possible moment that Jesus is better because constantly you will be barraged with the things of the world. And you must constantly go back to the truth that Christ is better. He's just better. Slavery to God is better than any, listen, any of the, the passionate moments, any of the emotion, listen, any of the feelings you get at Christ is better than that. He created you. He created me. He created the world. He knows how it functions best. Walk and believe and trust him. And see the life that God has offered up. Verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Anthony calls these shower curtain verses, which I think is awkward. Um... I call them pillow verses, right? Like you're on a couch, everyone has this on a pillow for the wages. Usually, actually, it's not even the wages of sin is death. Usually, it's just the free gift of God is eternal life, you know? The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. He lands this with the greatest possible fruit that we could receive. Understanding that now that we see clearly, we realize that sin was actually leading us towards, towards death, that the payment that need be paid is death for sin but the free gift that God offers, the greatest fruit that God offers is eternal life with Christ Jesus our Lord. Forever, eternal, with him. Okay? Greatest possible fruit we could ever hope for, we could ever think of, we could ever ask of. Listen, this life is just momentary. There is eternity awaiting. He lands chapter 6, this whole argument, man, why, why is Christ better? The greatest possible truth. Because at the end of the day, we're with him forever. And with him means a perfect master in a perfect place forever, a perfect amount of time. Forever sounds great with God. Last story I want to share with you uh, in the Bible, Christ shares this story. It's one of the most spoken about and preached texts I think in the Bible. There's a a father and he has a couple sons. And, um, and one of these sons was getting a little antsy, okay? Decided he wanted to get out of the house. Decided, Father, I know you have all this money. Give me uh, my share of the inheritance that you owe me, and I'm going to go live my life. I will be free from you. And so the father says, okay. Gives him his money, gives him his inheritance, and the son takes it and goes into the city and begins to just, right, just live it up. Make it rain like we talked about last week, right? All of a sudden he finds himself having spent all of his money on things that did not provide any real love or hope in his life. Lead him in any way good. He finds himself in a, in a pigsty, right? Laying down and just wondering, man, could it get any worse than this moment? And he has this idea. He says, you know what, I think I'm going to go back to my father. I'm going to go back to my father's house. I'm going to go up to him. I'm going to, I'm going to get there. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to say, let me be your slave. I'm going to, I'm going to go to him and say, let me, let me just work for you. I, I, don't want to be, I don't want sonship. I don't want to come back. Listen, I realize I already left that behind. Just let me come and be like one of your workers. Be like one of your bondservants. Be like one of your slaves. And so the son runs back to his father's house. Right? And we know the story. He gets to the edge of the fence. The father coming from the house sees his son and they run and embrace one another. The son saying, just let me be one of your workers. Let me be one of your slaves. And the father has none of it. And says, forget that. You're my son. Welcome back to the family. Right? And then they have this fantastic party with the fattened calf and the whole deal. The greatest freedom, the greatest hope, the greatest perfection, the greatest life, the greatest truth, the greatest everything is found in the Master God, Jesus, Holy Spirit. Because as he invites us in to be slaves unto God, we are truly sons and daughters of God Most High. That he adopts, he engrafts, he brings in those into his family in sonship and in adoption. We are now his forever with all the benefits that come with being a son and daughter of the kingdom of God. At the end, this is, God takes slaves and makes them sons. God takes slaves and makes them daughters. A perfect father who brings back those who were such in bondage and slavery to that thing that would destroy and puts them into a family that will only bring hope, life, and life eternal. This is the gospel. This is why the gospel is better. This is why as you leave and you go and you're confronted over and over and over with all of these other options, we land on our new identity. our new truth is God is better. Being a slave, being a son to the king, is far, far better. Two things for application, okay? Rejoice in this new freedom, okay? Rejoice in this new freedom that we have. That means sing about it, talk about it, pray about it, write about it, paint about it, whatever it means for you to rejoice. Find the things that stir your affections for Jesus. Do them in rejoicing to God. Do that. And then the second thing: Let us be a people. Let us be individuals who, in the midst of realizing that God has set us free, seek to desire to go and help others be set free. Right? That we would move to the city. That we would move into Flagstaff. That you would approach your neighbor, approach your coworker, and say, "I come from the heart." That you want them to be free. Want them to be sons. Want them to be daughters. Want them to be in the kingdom of God. Like Harriet Tubman said, if they'd had only known, if they'd had only known that they were slaves, I would have saved even more. Would we move out? Would we rejoice and then we move out into the city of Flagstaff and just continue to be that light and that beacon that illuminates the truth that Jesus is better. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.